Good morning. morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a joy to be at Pittman Park this morning. I want to first of all to thank Anna for the beautiful prayer and Justin for the beautiful reading of the scripture this morning. Uh, Bill uh, invited me to come and to preach, and I was just honored to have the opportunity to do so. You all have wonderful leaders here in pastoral leadership. Uh, Bill Bagwell has been someone that I've followed for a number of years, and Stephanie is a leader in her own right, and it is a joy to work with her, not just here, but around the conference. Well, I've got a a task to talk to you just a moment about Connectional Ministries, and then we'll move right into our sermon this morning. Connectional Ministries is uh, the arm of our annual conference that works with the vision and the mission of the church. So the mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's the entire church. That is the kingdom of God. But the vision is laid forth by our Episcopal leader. And so we work with the bishop, the cabinet, clergy, and conference leadership to execute the vision that is laid forth. We have some really exciting and wonderful programs that we offer. We have summer camp, and we would love for you uh, to check that out and to uh, have your kids to be involved in it and your young people. Uh, We do the Safe Sanctuaries training. And so there's a new video that is out, and if you're in need of that uh, in your ministry areas, you can go online or you can even order a DVD. Uh, We do lots of other things like webinars, leadership development. Uh, We hold the data for all of the clergy and laity in the annual conference. Uh, And we also um, uh, just help in any way that we can when we're called upon by our local churches. And so we are delighted uh, to assist you in any way that's possible. That's Connectional Ministries, but God has a word for us today. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you on this beautiful day to say thank you. We thank you, O Lord, for your created order. We thank you, God, that we're able to stand with our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to serve both in the local church as laity here at Pittman Park. We thank you, O God, for this wonderful church the history of 60 years, and the ways that they have impacted not only just this ministry, but around the world. God, we pray that in the hearing of the message this morning, if there's someone who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that they might be inclined to have that relationship today. In all these things, we ask the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So the message this morning is entitled, Our Common Poverty, and we are taking the message from uh, the book of Luke, the sixth chapter, verses 17 through 21. Some of you have heard this message already this morning, and I'm sorry about that. I would invite you, if you've already heard it, to think about ways that you perhaps could share this message with others. And if you are hearing it for the first time, receive it in prayer. And then when you go home, think about ways you can share it with others. So we begin with a question. Have
have you experienced a time in your life when you personally witnessed the suffering of someone that you loved, someone you cared about, someone you really wanted to help because you cared, because you loved them, you naturally wanted to do everything in your power to address the problem, to alleviate the suffering, to stop the pain. And perhaps you pursued it with great passion, doing all that you could do to help those who are in need. It could be an individual. It could be a program that you're involved in. It could be a community that you're concerned about or even a mission experience that you're involved in. You've used your time. You've committed yourself with your resources and your energy, and yet the root cause of the issues remain unaddressed. You've given fish for a day, and yet they need fish for tomorrow. The truth is, if we dared to explore it, is that many times as we engage in ministry with those who are suffering, those who are in need, those who have material poverty, those who uh, have other types of disabilities or addictions or problems that are complex, at the very best, we may help the person temporarily, but the root causes of the issues may remain unaddressed. And at the very least, sometimes our intervention can cause further disruption in the lives of people. Sometimes without us even uh, understanding why or how we ourselves may be causing harm. If we are honest with ourselves this morning, we might be able to explore today through the scripture that was read so beautifully, what it means to be in relationship with those who are suffering. What it means for all of us in humanity to be in relationship with God, with ourselves, and with our neighbors. I'd like to read just a portion of the scripture once again. Verse 20 says, Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who are weeping, for you will laugh. As disciples of Jesus Christ, our our approach to the text this morning is not simply to hear it, but to visualize what is happening Christ, uh, this is a sermon on the plain. We, we, we know it very, we're very familiar with it, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew, the fifth chapter, the first 12 verses of the fifth chapter. But here is the Sermon on the Plain, and things are described just a little differently. Christ comes down to the level of where the people are who are suffering. See, the God that we serve is not distant. He is not far away, but God is with us. Emmanuel is with us. 
And so Christ comes down to the level of the people. And can you imagine so many people are there? They're hurt. They're sick. They're full of disease. They have problems. And they need a touch from the Lord. And so they are coming Because they see that so much power has come from him. He is exerting so much energy. Can you imagine what that feels like? To be present with suffering and it is overwhelming. And instead of Christ saying, I I need a break. I've got to get away from this. I've got to pull away. He turns to the disciples And he communicates a message to them that helps them to understand what it means uh, to be a human being and to receive God's love. Doesn't matter how well you are, doesn't matter how sick you are. It doesn't matter if things are wonderful in your life or if everything has fallen apart. It doesn't matter if you have much or you really don't have anything at all. Christ reorients the understanding of what it means to be in God's kingdom. And he says to them, those who are poor are blessed. Those who are hungry right now are blessed, and those who are weeping, joy is coming. As we look at uh, uh, these these few scriptures here, I love uh, Dr. Fred Craddock. He's gone on to be to glory now, gone on to be with the Lord. But I was a student at Emory in seminary, and somehow I got a, a, a hold of some tapes that belonged to Dr. Craddock, and Oh, I thought that was it, Jonathan. That was it for me. Well, I don't know what to do with those tapes now. Nobody uses tapes. Um, But here's what he said. As the Sermon on the Plain, remarkably, there is no contingency plan. There are no urgings or exhortations to behave in certain ways so as to earn these blessings and avoid the curses. In fact, there is no call to action at all in the text today. Rather, Jesus is just pronouncing the facts. He's painting for us a picture of what the kingdom of God is. He is not making suggestions about how to be happy or giving warnings on how to keep from being miserable. Jesus is making defining statements of the way life is inside and outside the reign of God. It's a reversal of fortunes for the rich and the poor, the powerful and the powerless, the full and the empty. In my own life, I was the first female in my family to graduate from college, to go all the way through high school, to finish college and to go on. Today I'm a student uh, again at Boston University working on my doctorate of ministry. And I shared with the congregation this morning that I have 753 days 
uh, about three hours and 30-something seconds, I think, (laughs) before graduation. I'm getting there, (laughs) y'all. But more than anything that I could, I don't even know how to communicate this. I wanted my siblings because we grew up in poverty. So I know what it means to have little. I know what it means to take five or six dollars and make a meal for the family. I know what it means to wash clothes when you don't have washing powder or bleach and you get them clean with some soap. I know what it means to walk where you need to go to make sacrifices for what you need to do, to help those who are struggling around you. Because no matter how poor you are, there is someone in your community who has a greater need. So when you cook, you cook for those who have nothing. When you have, you share with the community. I want it more than anything in this world for my three siblings to come out of material poverty. I wanted them to know a life that was more than just survival every day, but that was living. So you see, the subject matter that I'm sharing this morning is not something that I learned in seminary. It's not something I read in a book. It is something that is close and dear to my heart and something that I've struggled with for many years within my own family. So what are we supposed to do with this text, with this challenge that is before us of what it means to be blessed? Let's Let's just be honest. When we think of being blessed, we really, you know, think of good health, a good job, a car, or if you live in the city, a bus pass, maybe a home, family, children, and yes, material possessions. We don't think about we don't think about being blessed and naturally think of poverty. We don't think about being blessed and talk about being hungry. And we certainly don't think about being blessed when we see people weeping and they're in grief. But perhaps there is a book that can shed some light. I really enjoy reading this book. And if you're involved in any kind of ministry, if you're involved in ministry uh, to to others at all, whether it is uh, working with uh, uh, those who are in poverty, working with those who are in addiction, maybe they're homeless, uh, working with those who need emergency assistance, or doing ministry, in your community or around the world, I would invite you to take a look at this book. Now, the only book that I, um, you know, give supreme, uh, the only book that I really lift up is the Bible. Uh, everything else I read with some uh, level of suspicion. I agree with some of it, but not everything now. But I enjoyed this book, and it's called When Helping Hurts by Stephen Corbett. 
The author says that the, the triune God is inherently a relational being and he exists three in one from eternity. Being made in God's image, human beings are inherently relational as well. Because of that relationship, we as disciples, we as human beings seek to have uh, what they call four levels of relationship between God and ourselves. The first one is just our primary relationship with God. We are made in the image of God and we are all God's beloved. Let me slow down and say that again. We are made in the image of God and we are all God's beloved. The second one is the relationship with ourselves. Each person, because we have the love of God, we are uniquely created in God's image and we all have worth and we all have dignity. We have relationship with others because God created us to live in loving relationship with one another. We all need each other. Doesn't have anything to do with how much we have or we don't have. We all need one another. And then relationship with the rest of creation. So the author says this. We are all loved by God. We are all made in God's image. And we are all broken. Hmm. Because we are broken, because of the brokenness of humanity, because of the fall of humanity, we see that brokenness manifested in economics and in social issues and in religious matters and in political systems. So the author says this, there are different kinds of poverty because of the brokenness of humanity. Material poverty is one. But there is the poverty of spiritual intimacy, denying God's existence and authority, worshiping false gods, the poverty of being. On the one hand, we can have a God complex where we really begin to think that we are the savior of the world. Or we can have very low self-esteem where we think we don't matter. Both of those things are poverty of our being. Even poverty of community where we are self-centered and we are not focused on the needs of those around us. And we may even exploit and abuse others. And then the poverty of stewardship where you have a loss of a sense of your purpose. And sometimes we can see this manifested in what we would identify as laziness ranging all the way to working Uh, too much and putting too much attention on material possessions. Poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. So let's just stop for a moment now. Given that definition and the scriptures that we've been presented with today, the question that we have to ask then is who are the poor? Material poverty is working to reconcile those four relationships so that people can fulfill their calling of glorifying God by working and supporting their families with the fruit of their work. Here is the goal. It is not 
to do for others, but to walk alongside them as they discover and struggle ways to do for themselves. When we work and we're able to support our families, when we work and we're able to give God the glory for what God has done, it is an act of worship. And God is glorified. So what does it mean, Denise? I mean, tell me, what are you saying? Are you saying that we should not help people anymore? Or that we shouldn't be engaged in missions or crises or, or help persons in an emergency? If, if a person comes and they need bread, you want me to talk to them about what their thoughts are? No. We should be engaged to help others. We should give in a crisis We should provide. No one can hear you if they're starving and you're asking them what their plan is until you give them bread. Well, what happened in my family? It took a lot of years and um, a lot of ups and downs. But each of those persons that I have prayed for so long, they found their own way. They made their own path. And just like me, sometimes they fail. Sometimes they had some measure of success. But we all have given the glory to God. And you know, I had to go to some of them. Remember, we're broken. So I'm still working on one relationship. That's the truth. But those that I could talk to, I asked for forgiveness. Forgive me for placing my judgment of who you should be and what you should do on you. Forgive me for not listening to you more and inserting my thoughts and my plans about your life. Forgive me. So where does that leave us? Well, you know, I'm a preacher. So usually we have three points and we wrap it up. (laughs) Don't have any three points this morning. But I do have a prayer. God knows our hearts. He knows that we don't want to see suffering in this world. We don't want to see children who don't have families. We don't want to see people who are without homes. We don't want to see people hungry. And we want to do the best that we can to help in ways that we can. But as we approach ministry in that way, let us pray that God will direct us. So this morning, I'm going to offer a prayer. And when I say the words, Lord, in your tender mercy, I would invite you to join me and to say, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Creator and loving God, sustaining God, we come today as your disciples of Jesus Christ to love you, God, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. May we seek to engage and be in relationship with those who are suffering. May we give pause to our actions, our services, our programs, 
and not do for others what they can do for themselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May we listen and seek to understand the context, the circumstances, the resources within individuals and with communities. May we listen without judgment, without solutions, without inserting the way we would handle situations. May we avoid quick temporary fixes to complex issues and seek to listen to people tell their own stories and create the paths of reconciliation for their own suffering. Lord, in your tender mercy, hear our prayer. May we learn from those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are weeping. For those who are suffering visibly, have so much to teach us, Lord, those of us who are suffering silently. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May we love as God loves. May we see our neighbors as God sees them, loving them enough to go beyond a mere handout, but loving them enough to engage, to listen, to encourage, to empower calling them back to the primary relationship with God. Lord, may our common love from you, our common brokenness, our common poverty, and our common uh, hope glorify you and call us back in relationship with you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.